Let's pray. Dear gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we bow before you this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together, to worship together as believers in Jesus Christ. I just pray you'd bless Lester this morning as he brings us your word. Lord, may our hearts be open to receive it and to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Greeting to each one of you, and thank you for coming today. Thank you for your interest in hearing God's word, and trust you have been blessed by that already in our service. My sermon today, as you may see by the title, I want to take out of the book of Proverbs. But um, before I turn there, I'd like to give just a little bit of a, a background here or a setting for, for what I want to focus on. Solomon's wisdom for the 21st century. We know that Solomon wrote a lot of words that, that we have access to in our Bibles today. The whole book of Proverbs was some of his wisdom that has been shared, made available to us today. And even though this was written, I believe, about 3,000 years ago, we find a lot of value there for where we are at today, for, for the, the current events and the current um, circumstances that we find ourselves in. And that is by God's intent. He um, knew when he gave this wisdom to Solomon that we would need it for our time. And he has made it so that this book has lasted down through the centuries and we have it in our hands today. If we look in Matthew, I'm just going to focus on a couple of verses in Matthew chapter 24 first. And you don't need to turn there if you don't want to because I'm not really expounding on these verses too much. But um, it's a passage that probably you're familiar with. It's where Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple and then the disciples had some questions for him as to when these events were going to come to pass. And so Jesus reveals to them some things that will take place in the end times, which I think you would agree with me is the time that we live in today. We don't know how close we are as in number of days to the end of this world, but we know that we are living in the end times. He says in verse 10 of Matthew chapter 24, For then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. So many will be offended, many will betray one another, there will be hatred. And this does not give us a very good picture of what is going to be happening. And, and I think, too, you would agree with me that we see this happening today. And I realize that probably my grandfather probably said the same thing. And the generations before him, when they read this verse, they probably said, oh yeah, this is definitely happening today. But it is increasing, I believe. It's not hard for us to see this happening in our world where many are offended, betray one another, and hate one another. 
There will be an increase in hostility and a willingness to offend and be offended. In speaking unkind words about each other and spreading falsehoods and lying, selfish agendas. There will be a famine of peacefulness, quietness, and kindness. And I especially want to want you to think about this morning as, as we look at Solomon's wisdom and, and where God calls us to be, to think about the, the, where we are at right today and, and the, the things that we have that previous generations did not have and the things that are, are changing the way that we live um, because of our access to, to technology. And I'm especially thinking of the era of the, the Internet, and I feel, in a way, I feel I'm maybe a little more fortunate than some of you younger ones to, to remember what life was like without the Internet. Um, there's a good number of you, an increasing number of you, of course, that, that don't know what life was like without the Internet. But I didn't use email till I think I was in my 20s, maybe upper teens. Um, so that gives you a little bit of an idea. Uh, I remember when there was just this talk going around of the World Wide Web, and, and I really didn't have a grasp of what that all meant or what it would look like. Probably similar to, you know, now there's talk of, um, of other things. Technology coming down the road yet, we're like, mm, that, I can't really picture that, you know, changing my life or, or even being in need of that. But... This has brought a change to our generation, and, and I believe that, that the internet and the rapid communication, the ease of communication of this era proliferates this problem of spreading of falsehoods, of um, being offended, giving offense, and, and betraying each other and hating each other. However, our focus is not going to be on... on a way to avoid the internet in order to make things better. Um, I don't really think that's possible, or maybe it's possible, but rather difficult. But the, the problem does not, not lie in the technology that is available to us, but rather the problem is in our hearts. And, and that is why Solomon, I believe, could speak to this issue and give us this wisdom that applies to the time that we live in, because he dealt with, and the people of his time dealt with the same sin problem. Not the same technology, but the same problem. The internet is spreading falsehoods. It's, there's, while there's a, a lot of useful information there, we realize there's also a very um, easy way to spread lies, to spread what is false, to, to send out a story that is completely uh, made up, and it's easy to get people to believe that. Um, some of these people who intentionally do this thing, these things realize that their story is, is almost beyond believable, and yet if they can send that to millions of people, possibly there'll be hundreds or thousands that will actually believe it. And um, it's shaping our worldview, because we now have access to information that previous generations never or hardly had. They had to work, work very hard to find the information that we have today at our fingertips. And what we, what we take in, what we consume, what we read 
and see and understand shapes our worldview, shapes how we look at the rest of the world around us, how we view ourselves fitting into to the world and so on. And again, that can be in both a positive and a negative way. We, we can read, um, it depends on what we, what we choose to read and, and, and how careful we are with, with what we believe and take in. We can read just the negative, and we'll have a negative worldview. We can look at the positive and the good things that are happening, and that, that will shape our view of the world. It also proliferates this problem of, of offending each other because of our easy and quick um, ability to communicate to a lot of people, uh, and, and, and especially to be able to do that without standing in front of them face-to-face proliferates the problem of offending people because we can say things that we know people won't like, that we know will make them angry, and we can, we can do it without ever um, looking at them, and, and yet it has the same effect when they read it or see it. So there's, there's this problem of, of miscommunication and poor communication and, and reshaping our, our worldview into uh, a negative worldview that comes through the use of the internet. But of course, it, 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 using that technology can also be used in a good way, in a godly way, but we need wisdom in order to do that. So that's what we want to look at this morning. Uh, God's people are called to be different than, than the people described here in Matthew 24, where there's this betraying and hating and offending. God's people are called to be different than that. Turn with me quickly to James chapter 3, and let's look at what he says there. I want to read verse 6 through 18 of James chapter 3. This is where he talks about the tongue, and he compares it to, to a, a bit in a horse's mouth or a rudder on a ship, something very small, but yet can have um, a, a powerful effect. A small rudder can steer a large ship. And, and so he says our tongue is a little like that. Verse 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it's set on fire of hell. Now, if you just read that verse, you say, well, what good is our tongue? Um, that's pretty negative, and, but what he says is true. But, of course, we know our tongue can be used in a good way as well. Verse 7, every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature in the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Uh, okay, I'll continue on here. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his words are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and, be ag- and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. 
For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So there's where God gives us um, the, the recipe for something different than what the world has to offer. And the words that James uses here fit very well with what, what Jesus describes there to his disciples in Matthew 24. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. That's where God calls us to be. That, that our mouth is used for both blessing and cursing. But rather, we are to be pure. The New Living Translation says for verse 13, uh, okay, it says, Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. The New Living says that our good conduct uh, that be done in, with the humility that comes from wisdom. The humility that comes from wisdom. Where do we find this wisdom? Well, God gave some of this to Solomon over 3,000 years ago. And God's wisdom applied to the internet era, to the 21st century, to the time we live in. God's wisdom can spread goodness and righteousness rather than what is described here. So turn with me now to Proverbs chapter 25. This is the passage of Scripture that I want to focus on this morning. And it tells us here in verse 1 that these are the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. And if I understand that right, it's telling us that, so we know that Solomon had a lot of wisdom and he wrote a lot of things down. Well, I believe it was something like two to three hundred years after Solomon that King Hezekiah lived. And it says he had access to this wisdom from Solomon and decided to compile it into some of these passages that we have here in the book of Proverbs. So he had his servants copy down some of the wisdom of Solomon. And I had to wonder, um, how did Hezekiah here, or, or his servants, how did they know what to write in here and what order to put it in? Because we know they didn't share with us all the wisdom that Solomon had, only portions of what he had written down and what had been passed down through the generations to several hundred years later. But they, they found it important to write some of this down and, and apparently put it in this order. And oftentimes when I read the Proverbs, I feel like it's kind of a, um, a, almost a jumble of, of little nuggets of wisdom, but not really, in, just kind of in a random order and kind of jumping from one subject to another. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what I see here in, in chapter 25 as well. But I do see a couple categories here that, that I'm going to put these Proverbs into. So I'm not going to read down through this whole chapter because I'm going to be taking kind of one bit at a time and reading it and applying it to our lives. The three categories that I see in this chapter is that we, he gives us wisdom on how to live honorably or how to live, uh, how to have a good reputation how to live honorably, how to speak tactfully, meaning um, 
Tactful means a keen sense of what to say in order to avoid giving offense. And skill in dealing with difficult or delicate situations. Speak tactfully. And thirdly, wisdom on how to have fewer enemies. So, so we see how in the end times there's going to be this increase of, of hatred. And, and we see that happening in our world today where, where it seems like people just don't mind having a lot of enemies. Um, we should not be like that as God's people. To live honorably, to speak tactfully, and to have fewer enemies, I think is what, what Solomon, Hezekiah, scribes, whoever compiled this, and ultimately God is speaking to us today. Now, when we read these Proverbs, I, I want us to keep a couple things in mind here that will help us to understand better what Solomon was trying to say. Um, God intends for us to apply this wisdom to our lives, and we don't live in the same time that Solomon did. Our world is very different. Solomon uses word pictures in figurative language um, to, to give us yeah, pictures of, of that somehow that helps me to, to impress it in my mind more when there's this picture. So some of these pictures that he gives us, I'm going to take the freedom to put them a little bit more in a modern-day form, maybe. We need to remember that Solomon lived in royalty all his life. He was the son of a king and then, then, then took over the throne from his father David. So his, he grew up in the palace. He grew up in, in the, a royal family. And so some of his view of life is different for us as middle-class Americans. So again, some of the examples that he uses, uh, we need to remember, come from that perspective of being of living in royalty and living with a lot of, of riches and wealth. Solomon's wisdom from Proverbs 25. To live honorably or to, to seek to have a good reputation. God wants us to be, to, to portray his goodness to the world around us. He wants us to be uh, his, his disciples, and in that way, follow his pattern. So we are to have a good reputation. We should have a good reputation. The, the wicked world around us should see our lives and see something very different. And, and they, should, they should ultimately honor God because of what they see in our lives, because we have an honorable reputation. <clears throat> Several verses in here that speak to the honorable reputation. <clears throat> and this is simply mean, again, just describing this a little more, to, to avoid being a bad influence, to learn self-control, to be humble and honest. In uh, verse 4 and 5, these two verses seem to go together. Take away the dross from the silver, and it will go to the silversmith for jewelry. Take away the wicked from before the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. And we see Solomon speaking there again from his position of royalty. But this is simply saying that we are to av avoid a wrong influence. I don't know much about how silver is refined but apparently there's, there's a process where, where the impurities need to be taken out. The dross, it refers to it here. And then it's ready to be made into jewelry. 
In the same way, the wicked influence, the wrong influences in, in our life need to be sorted out, need to be taken out. And um, just as a king usually surrounds himself with some advisors, some assistants, um, we, we see that same pattern in our country today. The president hires a large staff of people as his advisors in different specific areas and his cabinet members. And just as, as a king's decisions are affected by the, the um, advisors that he has, and they will influence uh, where his, what, his, what he does as a king and, and where the country goes. The same way the people, the things that influence our lives will shape who we are and what our reputation will be. So we need to sort out the evil, the wicked. Verse 6 and 7, do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king and do not stand in the place of the great. For it is better that he say to you, come up here, than that you should be put lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. And here he's talking about humility, about having the reputation of being a humble person. And he's simply saying, don't, don't promote yourself. And we could apply this to, to being hired. If, if you go out and are hired by, by a business and you have an employer um, you don't promote yourself. You just do what your boss asks you to do. And then if he sees that you deserve it, he will give you a promotion. In the same way, um, as Christians, we're not to, as God's people, we should be humble. We don't need to promote ourselves. God will give us the reward that we deserve. We're to focus on being faithful. <clears throat> Verse 13 is the next one I see here that speaks to our reputation. Like the cold of snow, <coughs> excuse me. Like the cold of snow in time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. And I want you to be thinking about, as we go through this, about how you use the internet and maybe in particular social media, because that's becoming a, a prominent way of us communicating with each other. So I know not all of you here probably not use social media, but many of you do. And, and um, think about how these Proverbs apply to that. Here he says, uh, just as refreshing as, as the cold of snow in the time of harvest. So we know time of harvest is, is hot, dry, dusty. Uh, I picture um, working out in the sun in July and having a cold iced tea that refreshes you. In the same way, a faithful messenger is to those, to his master, or those who send him. So in Solomon's day, if you wanted to communicate to someone in the next city over, you had to send a messenger. You couldn't call him up. You couldn't send an email. You had to send somebody with that message and, and my understanding is they would often take people who were fast, fast runners, if they, wanted, uh, if they had an urgent message anyhow, wanted to get there fast. These messengers also had to be very faithful people because it was all up to them to take that message from here to there and, and communicate it accurately, give that person the same message as what was given to him. So a faithful messenger was a very valuable person. And just as a cold drink on a hot day is refreshing, so is one who is faithful, one who accurately takes the message that has been given to him. Verse 14, whoever 
falsely boasts of giving is like clouds and wind without rain. And this may speak a little bit to what John was saying last Sunday about having good intentions. If we boast about giving falsely and never actually give, or if we talk about what we're going to do, what we plan to do, the good things we're going to do, but never actually do them. We're like clouds and wind without rain. On a summer day, you're, you're wishing for a shower of rain to cool things off and to water the earth. The dark clouds come and the wind blows, but it never rains. That's like someone who boasts falsely of giving. <clears throat> we need to be honest people. 16, verse 16, have you found honey? Eat only as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. Again, this speaks to a good reputation. Don't indulge. Don't take more than you need to. Learn self-control. And verse 17, I found a very interesting one. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, lest he become weary of you and hate you. And again, I'm not sure how, well, I know this applies to our day, uh, but I don't think we have the problem of visiting our neighbors too much. Or very rarely do I see that problem today, of actually going and knocking on your neighbor's door or your friend or your brother or sister in the church, wherever it may be. We tend not to do that so much today, and that's probably partly because of the technology we have. However, we certainly can do that with our technology, become an annoyance to other people. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor, this is verse 18, is like a club, a sword, and a sharp arrow. And this, this could be speaking to not only our, our reputation or living honorably, but also speaking tactfully and having fewer enemies. But to, to bear false witness or to tell lies about others is like using a weapon against them is what it's telling us here. We will make enemies that way. We will not be viewed as an honorable person if we tell lies about others. Again, it's very easy to do, especially when you hear this really good story that you just love to spread around about somebody else. First, make sure it's true. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Verse 19, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. Or you could say, I I think he's trying to say here like a persistent, um, debilitating pain. Maybe you know what that feels like. A bad tooth may start out as a very small thing and become so intense and so bad that it basically cripples you. Persistent, debilitating pain. So is an unfaithful man. Or putting your confidence in an unfaithful man. And this may speak to the previous verse where it talks about being a false witness or lying about others. Certainly an unfaithful man is one who's willing to gossip, to spread lies, And rumors, don't put your confidence in someone like that. Don't be someone like that. And then I'm going to jump down to 26 through 28. A few more nuggets here on living honorably, having a good reputation. A righteous man who falters before the wicked is like a murky spring and a polluted well. We are to be careful how we impact the world around us, the people around us. If we sin and the ungodly see that, 
were like a murky spring and a polluted well. What do they see when they look at the church, when they look at God's people, those who profess to be God's people? Does the wicked world see a righteous man falter? We're called to be a salt and a light to the world, something that has a positive impact. It's very different, basically the opposite of a murky spring and a polluted well. It's not good to eat much honey, so to seek one's own glory is not glory. Again, too much of a good thing is not good. To eat too much honey is to seek one, so to seek one's own glory is not glory. This again speaks to being a humble person, not one who promotes himself. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Speaking of self-control. No rule over your own spirit. In Solomon's day, if a city didn't have walls, it was completely defenseless. They depended on the walls to keep the enemy out, to keep from from being overrun by the people around them. For their own security, their cities had walls. We lack self-control. We're defenseless. The enemy will take over. Now, to speak tactfully, let's look at the wisdom he gives us in several of these verses here on speaking to that. Uh, Again, it means to have this sense of what to say in order to avoid giving offense, to be skillful in dealing with difficult or delicate situations. And, And it's not only, tactful is not only the words we use, but it's also the way we live life sometimes, our actions. Basically, he tells us here that if we're slow to speak, if we're patient, and we use the right words at the right time, we use good words, um, that's speaking tactfully. That's the advice Solomon gives us in here. Verses 8, 9, and 10 go together. Do not go hastily to court, for what will you do in the end when your neighbor has put you to shame? Debate your case with your neighbor, and do not disclose the secret to another, lest he who hears it Expose your shame and your reputation is ruined. Be careful how quickly you judge another. And rather than make it a, a you could say, a public issue, take him to court, whatever that might, might mean, it may not be actually um, taking him to the court like we know of today, but it may even be speaking to just making it public what this neighbor has done against you, how he has offended you. Um, telling other people. But before you do that, go to him. Debate your case with your neighbor and do not disclose the secret to another. Lest perhaps you were in the wrong. Lest perhaps he expose your wrong. And many times this can be a way of, of um, avoiding a conflict, a way of, of avoiding an offense. Somebody has done something against you. This this is taught in Matthew 18. We often refer to that principle. We're we're to go directly to that person first. Much problems can be avoided by simply taking that case to the person who has offended you and saying, hey, is this what you meant? Is this really what happened? You know, this this didn't feel good to me. Um, This was an offense to me. And if you can work it out in private, that's much better than making it a public issue. Verse 11 and 12, 
A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. When I think of a very beautiful picture, I don't necessarily think of golden apples on a silver platter. Um, Again, we have to realize how Solomon lived. Probably a lot of gold and silver around him and maybe just simply the, the taste of the, the designers in that day where, where they loved to decorate with a lot of gold and silver. And of course, they had the wealth. He and his family had the wealth to afford that as well. So whatever is a beautiful picture to you, you can fill that in there. A word fitly spoken is something beautiful. A wise rebuke to an obedient ear. A word fitly spoken is not always saying something real positive, but can also be a wise rebuke. Again, we see the tactfulness that's required there to carefully approach somebody in a, with a rebuke. Be careful how we say that. Choose your words wisely. But a wise rebuke can indeed have a wonderful result to an obedient ear. Verse 15, by long forbearance, a ruler is persuaded and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. Long forbearance, being patient. See, tactfulness isn't just saying something. Sometimes it's not saying anything. Sometimes it's waiting. Sometimes it's listening. Using words in a gentle way but can have a powerful effect. Here it says, breaks a bone. We know the force that it takes to break a bone. A gentle tongue can give correction, can change a person's life. And then let's jump down to verse 20. Like one who takes away a garment in cold weather and like vinegar on soda is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. There's a proper time to sing a song to someone, and there's an improper time. Use your words carefully. Be tactful. As cold, verse 25, as cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. And here he's just simply reminding us to, to be positive in the words we speak. There's enough of bad news around us to last a long time. And some of that needs to be talked about, needs to be heard, we need to pay attention to, but don't forget the good news, the refreshingness of good news. The Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer once said, and thinking about someone who needs to be tactful in their speech, if you think about what their responsibilities are on the Supreme Court, they do a lot of debating, a lot of really big decision-making, and done by a group of, of seven judges. He said this. He was talking about how the key is, is to listen. And I quote, Never get into a, I have a better argument than you. When you get into that kind of argument, the other person says, well, I have a better argument than you. And that gets the group zero advance. Listen to what the other person said, and then try to see what you might say that might be useful, given where the other person is coming from. 
if you get what he said there, it's very different to make an argument or to listen and give a response. I think that's being tactful with our words. We can quickly think of an argument. We can, we can become forceful in pushing our point. He says he has learned to listen and then respond. And then moving on to having fewer enemies, the wisdom he gives us here on having fewer enemies, learning to get along with people. Yes, we will always have some enemies, and we can't help that. <clears throat> but we can seek, we can live our lives in a way to seek to, to build relationships, to make friends, and, and to avoid the conflicts that make enemies. To build positive relationships with people, even people who are difficult. The world desperately needs to see this in God's people today. In verse 21 through 24, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If, if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. The north wind brings forth rain, and a backbiting tongue and angry countenance. It is better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Whatever coals of fire here may represent, and there's, there's even, even on well-studied commentators, they, they kind of debate what exactly this means and seem to have always have a hard time figuring out exactly what he's referring to, to heap coals of fire on your head. But it surely, it surely results in a better outcome than giving evil for evil or treating your enemies unkindly. And it also promises a reward from God here. If we give our enemies bread to eat, water to drink, and so heap coals of fire on his head, the Lord will reward you. Some people think this may be referring to, um, just like you put a piece of iron into the hot coals to shape it, make it so you can shape it and mold it. A little bit the same way when you treat your enemy kindly, gives you the ability to change his heart. And there's, there's also the idea of, of sharing the hot coals that you have with your neighbor or your enemy so that he can start a fire to warm himself. Whatever it may be, we know the outcome. The promise here is that the Lord will reward you. And many times when you do treat your enemies that way, you do have the ability to change who they are and even turn them into your friend. Gossip and contention, contention and quarreling produce enemies. Talks about sharing a house with a contentious woman, and before we accuse the women of being contentious, just realize that men are contentious as well. And Solomon probably said it this way because he dealt with some of this. And the 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 lesson we really need to learn from that is that it's miserable to live with contentious people. So don't be a contentious person if you want friends. And also, I believe it could also be referring to avoiding certain people. Sometimes a way to have fewer enemies is not to get into an argument with contentious people. We make fewer enemies 
by avoiding some people. Because they're living in such a way that it doesn't matter what you say, they're always going to be negative. They're always going to find something wrong with you. They're always going to be contentious. So we can have fewer enemies by treating our enemies with kindness, by not being contentious, not getting into arguments, not um, having a backbiting tongue here. That's referring to gossiping, to gossip. And then the other person finds out about it, and then they get angry, and it makes enemies. So in conclusion, I'd like to just go back to verse 2 and 3 yet. It says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. As a heaven for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. So what's he saying here? The glory of man is to search out the hidden things of God. We know that God has a lot of things that we don't understand, a lot of wisdom that he doesn't even share with us. But he's also put a lot out there for us to discover. And it's the glory of man to seek and find that wisdom that God conceals. There is coming a day when we will know all that God has right now concealed from us, when we are with him in glory. But here on this earth, it's honorable, it's good for us to seek to know God, to seek to know his wisdom. And this is both in the spiritual and in the material world. The world we live in has many mysteries and many fascinating things and and many um, things for us to discover. We should be looking at that. We should be seeking that in the material world as well as the spiritual truths that he gives to us in his word. To be a scientist, a physicist, a chemist, a biologist is to seek to know the hidden things of God. If we do it for the glory of God, we know there's many who don't believe in God, who are seeking to deny God. An education will not destroy us if it is for the glory of God. It is searching out the wisdom of God. And also it should humble us that our own hearts are unsearchable and even more so the hearts of others. It says here the heart of the king is unsearchable. The Bible tells us that we don't even understand our own heart all the time. It deceives us. Much less the heart of others that we often try and judge when we're too quick with judgment. This should humble us that our own hearts are unsearchable. Therefore we need the wisdom of God. We need to search out the wisdom of God. And just, again, referring to the technology we have and a little play on words, we often use it, the word Google as a, almost synonymous with search for something. You Google it. We can do that. We can search for the wisdom of God. As you use this technology and have access to all this information that's out there before us today, do it for the glory of God. Search out to know the things that God has hidden. In Second King, or in First Kings, chapter ten, um, I'm just going to read a few verses from there. So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. Now all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Each man brought his present: articles of silver and gold, garments, armor, spices, horses, and mules, at a set rate each year. It tells us that people from all over the world were coming to Solomon for this wisdom that we have 
in God's word available to us today. It's not hard for us to get to it. We don't even have to pay with silver and gold. It's available to us. Let's use it. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we're grateful for what you reveal to us through your word, and we know that you are a great God, far beyond our understanding, and there's much, much more wisdom that you have that's not even given to us, but yet you gave us all that we need in your word, in what you have revealed to us through, through nature, through your creation, and your written word, and that your spirit speaks to us. Thank you for this wisdom. Help us to search it out and to apply it to our lives. May we live carefully with honor and a good reputation, speaking carefully in this day and age in which we live in, using carefully the things that have been made available to us to use them for your honor and glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.